The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. It's great to have you all here. And we're in this new series on just the, the basics of Christianity, what we believe in. And I appreciate all the work that the worship team, uh, John... John Serwinski put all this together and actually went into all the detail of finding out exactly on a Scrabble board what kind of wood they're made out of. So this is an exact replication of that. Same font, same everything. So thank you all. All all those who work behind the scenes doing little things like that mean an, an awful lot. So we appreciate it very much. I love that last song that we just sang because it really does underscore the Trinity I was uh, in a class a number of years ago at Dallas Seminary listening to one of my favorite professors, Dr. Toussaint, Stan Toussaint. And uh, some of the guys in the class asked him, well, Dr. Toussaint, if you could boil it down, what is the, if you could boil it down to the most important doctrine of Christianity, what would it be? So he threw that back into our court. And so people threw out Christology, maybe salvation, um, anthropology, inspiration of the scriptures, theology, you know, pneumatology, eschatology, all these things. So, so they asked him, well, what is, if you could boil it down to the single most important doctrine of the Christian faith, he said, without a doubt, it's the Trinity. He said, over centuries, uh, theologians have called it the greatest mystery of all revealed truth, the ultimate and supreme doctrine of the Christian faith, uh, Josh Malone is doing research in the, in, in the Trinity, and he said on, on a more academic level, it is the central point of debate and discussion in all of Christianity today is the doctrine of, of the Trinity. So last week, Doug Schillinger taught about theology, theos, God, ology, the study of the study of God. So last week, Doug covered God. Who is God? What is God like? Today, we're looking at the second element, Christology, the study of Jesus. Who really is Jesus? Next week, pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. And so that's theology. Let me give you a definition of the Trinity because I'm going to come back to it as we go through who is Jesus. Here's a definition. There is one God. It's exactly what the song said. There's one God. But in the unity of the Godhead, There are three eternal, co-equal persons, the same substance, but different in subsistence. So we've tried to illustrate in a lot of different ways. So I have, this is a hard-boiled egg. So some people say, well, an egg is a great illustration of the Trinity. Well, you know, every illustration falls apart at some point. Well, there are three parts. It's all one, right? So the the part that you see is called the what? The shell. And if I were to peel the shell off, underneath the shell would be the, the white albumen. And then if I were to dig through the white, what would be inside? The yolk. That's right. Okay. All three are different. So they're different and they exist together, but they uh, are different in subsistence. But are they the same substance. No. I mean, on the outside, the shell is calcium carbonate. Okay, so that's different from the white, the albumin, which would be made of proteins, 40 different proteins in four different layers. Very different from the yolk. 
That would be protein and fat and a whole mix of vitamins and minerals. So the illustration breaks down. So somebody else says, well, what about water? Water is a great illustration of the Trinity. Uh, on the one hand, the egg breaks down. It's uh, not of the same substance, but water, whether it be existing as liquid or as steam or as ice, it's all H2O, so the same substance. But it sort of breaks down as it doesn't all exist at the same time. Now, I know you chemists, you're going to say, yeah, but Jeff, what about the triple point? You know, if you have an exact amount of pressure and exact amount, uh, exact right temperature, they can all exist. Okay, okay. It's an illustration, all right? So t <laughs> typically, under normal uh, conditions, you know, water and ice and, and liquid would exist at different times. So there was a guy who came to Parkview a number of years ago by the name of Greg Allison. He's a professor um, and um, a great theologian. And so he gave a great illustration of the Trinity. He, and he talked about, he gave this illustration over there in the chapel. He said he was in a conversation with a, a young man who had just converted to Islam. And so this young man said, well, Dr. Allison, you say Christians believe that there's one God, right? He said, that's right, there's one God. He said, but you also believe that the Father is God, correct? He said, that's correct. So he had a piece of paper and a pencil. He drew this down. Greg Allison drew this down as well. And so he drew a circle. It's supposed to be a circle with F with a Father inside the circle. He said, so the Father is God, right? He said, that's right. He put the number one underneath. And he said, you also believe that the Son is God, correct? He said, yeah, that's right. He said, so you believe the Son is God? He put one. He said, but you as believers, as Christians, you also say that the Holy Spirit is God. Greg says, that's correct. So one. So he goes, okay. So you say there are three. One plus one plus one equals three. He said, really what you're saying is that there are three gods. And the, your Bible teaches there's only one God. The Old Testament clearly teaches there's only one God. The Quran clearly teaches there's only one God. You're saying there are three gods. So Greg Allison said, can I see your pencil? Got the paper. And he drew an equilateral triangle. And at the top, he put the father. And over here, he put the Son, and here, he put the Holy Spirit. And so he said, we believe in only one God, but there are three expressions signifying three different persons. This doesn't mean that a third of God is the Father, a third of God is the Son, or a third of God is the Holy Spirit. He said, all of God is the Father. All of God is the Son. All of God is the Holy Spirit. And so underneath he wrote one plus one plus one equals one. Well, that's been talked about and debated for centuries, but it is a very, very key element. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Who is if, if Doug last week said, we believe in God, and now all of a sudden I'm coming up saying, I want to introduce you to Jesus, and I'm saying, Jesus is God, you're going to go, now wait a second, who really is Jesus? 
I believe that if you walk away understanding what we're talking about today, it will absolutely revolutionize your life. It'll revolutionize your worship. Every time you open the Bible, it'll revolutionize every word you read. Jesus is not just a good person, a good teacher, a great example, a, a good friend, a good buddy to be next to you. He's far, far more than that. As a matter of fact, um, it's not a new question. Jesus, even in Caesarea Philippi, asked the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And uh, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we could say, okay, well, then he's at least agreeing to the fact that he is different in subsistence. But what about, is he of the same substance? So that's what I would like for us to talk about today. So what I want to do, one of the most popular genres of TV shows today or courtroom scenes, whether it be judge whoever in the afternoon or whether it be castle or some of these other kinds of legal shows. What I would like to do is just because I would like for you to walk out of here at least scratching your head going, wow, I've never really considered that. And then we want to be here to help answer your questions as well. So what I would like to do is just like in a court, courtroom, you're, you're just trying to put evidences together. Who really is Jesus? We want to answer that question. Who really is he? So what I want to do is present to you some evidences. The, the first three evidences would just be testimonies, testimonies from folks, just character witnesses, people who, who know him, who have seen him, who are opposed to him even. Bring those forward. And let's, let's do that at first. And uh, first, I'd like just real quickly look at the testimony of Matthew. He was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government. And one quick point, what he does is that he connects a verse in the Old Testament that clearly says that Jesus is God. And he says, She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name. So this one who's going to be born, Emmanuel, which means God with us. For a number of months, we went through the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was also called the book of Emmanuel, the book of God with us. And we looked at Isaiah 9-6. Actually, Doug covered that passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Notice, different in subsistence. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Eternal, Co-Equal, Different in subs Substance, or, or the same in Substance, but different in Subsistence. So that's Matthew. Clearly links this one being born is God. He is the God of the Old Testament. 
What about John? He's a Palestinian Jew. He was an eyewitness of most of the events of Christ's life. He knew firsthand the Jewish customs. He knew the land. He knew other details from other eyewitnesses. And there are several texts that address the specific question, who is Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, that's the whole purpose of his gospel, the book of John. Who really is Jesus Christ? So he starts the book by addressing that whole notion of the Trinity. John chapter 1, verse 1. Doug read this uh, last week. It sort of looks at Jesus in 3D. In the beginning was the Word. Three phrases we're going to look at. In the beginning. So in the beginning takes us all the way back to Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, and now he goes past tense. In the beginning was, so he takes us past the beginning all the way back into the eternal sanctuary of God. So what is the Trinity? There's one God in the unity of the Godhead. There are three eternal, co-equal. In the beginning was, and the word was with God. And that's the communion of the Father and the Son. Same substance, different in subsistence. And the Word was God. So the Son is the eternal God, distinct from the Father in personality. And then you get a little further into that first chapter. And in a few months, we're going to be looking at John 1 again, at the Gospel of John. But we're going to see clearly John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's an interesting word, and we use it a lot in church. Uh, well, probably not a lot of people use it. But like when you talk about somebody who might preach, you'll say, oh, there are different kinds of messages you can preach. You, there's a, a topical message where you can preach on love. Or if you go through a passage, what might you call that? What kind of preaching would you call if you go through a passage? Anybody know? It starts with an E. Exegetic, an exegetical passage. That's the word he uses here. He's saying that this, this one exegetes Jesus, exegetes God. Now, let me tell you what that word means. To exegete just really means to, to expound or to describe, but it goes back to another meaning, which means to guide. Jesus really, like a preacher might guide you through a passage, Jesus is going to take us on an exploratory walk to really reveal, to guide us to help better understand who God is. John 10 27 to 30. And we see the unity of the Father and the Son. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We get to the end of John and, and John, at, at the very end, he's saying, look, I've written all of these things so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But right before he gets to that conclusion, he says this. He gives the testimony 
um, of Doubting Thomas. It's the finest confession of faith, Doubting Thomas. At the very end, before John closes the book, he reports what Doubting Thomas said. My Lord and my God. Finally, he gets it. That Jesus isn't just a good person. He's not just a prophet. He's not just, you know, somebody to, your best buddy that you can talk to at church. He is God Almighty. He is the God of the Old Testament. He existed before Genesis 1-1. That's the testimony of John. What about Paul? He was a tribe of Benjamin, a zealous member of the Pharisee party. He was born in Tarsus, so he was a Roman citizen. He was a persecutor of the church. Let me just highlight one verse that he talks about. Who through, Philippians 2.6, who, who though he was in the form, the form of God, that's the substance, even though he was in the substance or the form of God, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. So in other words, this is a passage that you might call the kenosis. It's, it's the emptying passage. Well, if he was 100% God and 100% man, how did, those, how did he end up going to the cross? Well, Paul explains all that. He's 100% God. But what he did was, even though he was in the form of God, same substance, same morphe. We use the word morphological structure or something. Like, like for example, if, if I were to say, what would be the form of a hummingbird, a blackbird, an owl, uh, an eagle, a parrot? What would you call? What would you call all those things? You call them a a bird. Yeah, morphe. They're they're all the same morphe. That that's all he's saying here. They're, but they're all different, even though they're all of the same morphe. So they're eternal, co-equal persons, the same in substance, but they're different in subsistence. Jesus, though, at a point in time, didn't surrender his divine attributes, but he did surrender the voluntary use of his divine attributes. He, he emptied himself of those. In other words, he surrendered for a time the glories of deity. He surrendered the prerogatives of deity. Now, why in the world would he do that? So he could go to the what? Cross and become the substitute and die for you and for me. That's Paul's point here. So that he could perform the messianic mediatorial work in the power of the third person of the Trinity, the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting, too, that the Apostle Paul, you know, there were a lot of people who trusted Christ because of the Apostle Paul. One person by the name of Titus. He was an emissary of Paul. And... Um, so Paul writes to Titus, and he says, okay, Titus, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to teach people. This is number one on your agenda. You're working with people. You're leading people to Christ. Number one, you teach them sound doctrine. That's what this series is. This whole series is what do we believe. We're teaching you sound doctrine. Um, and he says you need to do that because people need to adorn themselves with the doctrine of who God is. Teach them sound doctrine so they can adorn themselves with the doctrine of God. And when they do that, the fruit of that is that they will live lives that are self-controlled, upright, godly, etc. And then Paul says this to Titus, while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing, and we're going to get here in just a couple weeks, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so many other passages we could look at. Uh, Fern's going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 1. That's another great passage on here. Another one in Second Peter's, a, a great one. But those are just three witnesses I want to call to your attention. So the evidences of testimony. I want to call to your attention now the evidence of miracles at this, at this point. First of all, I just want you to see the immensity of his commands themselves. So there are a few M2 guys in this. There's a couple of them over there, a couple of M2 guys. They just finished a block on... Uh, viruses, bacteria, fungi. And uh, so I was asking Johnny, I said, John, out of all that stuff you just studied on viruses and bacteria and all that stuff, what would you not want to get? <laughs> he said, Dad, I would not want to get leprosy. He said, That's, he said that is just horrible. And the amazing thing to me, he said that, and I thought, wow, that's the immensity of his commands because you get to Mark to Matthew chapter 8 he's confronted with a guy with leprosy and what does Jesus say he just says be clean and the text says immediately he becomes clean or Mark chapter 4 you know, they were in the boat, furious squall comes up, the boat's sinking, waves breaking over the sea, Jesus is asleep, and they're crying out, you know, and, and so what does Jesus say in verse 39 of Mark 4? Quiet, be still. And it says, and immediately the wind and the waves ceased. Or another staggering one to me is Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, there's a ruler of the synagogue, and uh, his little girl is dying. And then you know, he, he, he wants to ask Jesus to come and heal his daughter, daughter only to find out that his daughter's dead. And by the time you get to the house, people, the scene, just catch the scene. In the house, people, it says, quote, they're weeping and wailing loudly because the little girl died. Weeping and wailing loudly. So Jesus goes in, and what does he say? Talitha kum, little girl, arise. She gets up. So the crowd going from weeping and wailing loudly, now Talitha kum, she gets up, and now it says that this crowd, they were 
immediately overcome with amazement. There also has, there has to be the impartation of this power. So Jesus sends out the apostles and the disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons, etc. And uh, But the only power they have is derivative. It has to come from Jesus. It's, it's not from themselves whatsoever. You know, even, even Peter, who in a lot of people's minds, Peter was the first pope, but even Peter has to call out on the Lord for power. They were in Lydda, and there was a bedridden paralytic. And Peter has to say to um, Aeneas, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. You know that, that passage in Mark 4 when, when he just calmed the winds and waves like that? What, what was the example that, that Mark makes it so clear? It says, you know, again, I think the impact on our lives is so obvious. How do we really respond to Jesus? What do we really talk to him about? When those disciples in that boat saw what Jesus did, quiet, be still. The passage says that they were terrified. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Remember when Peter was out on the boat, they were fishing um, in the Sea of Galilee. They toiled all night. Jesus says, throw your net on the other side, and all of a sudden, the nets are breaking. It's so obvious, a miracle here. When Peter saw this, again, what was his response? When Peter saw this, when Peter finally came to grips with who Jesus really is, what was his response? He fell at his knees, fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. I just pray that as we go through this, you and I um, think about how we respond to Jesus. Let me give you quickly the evidence of truth. We looked at the evidence of testimony, the evidence of miracles, the evidence of truth. You know, I love the Old Testament, and it's interesting as you read the Old Testament, the prophets, the prophets will constantly say over and over, Thus saith the Lord. But when you get to the New Testament, when you get to, you know, the little red letter stuff uh, in the Gospels, Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Uh, 30 times in Matthew, 25 times in John. Uh, Dr. Bruce Metzger, professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, said, this use of verily indicates a finality and an authority in his message that is unparalleled elsewhere. The entire range of Jewish literature knows of no example of a scribe or rabbinical teacher prefacing his remarks with the expression, verily, I say to you. The crowds were amazed. Yeah. Even one of the officer's words, no one ever spoke the way this man does. 
Let's look at the evidence of sovereignty. Here, the very one who uh, claimed to be the light of the world is the very one who goes up to people and says to them, follow me. This is what he has said to all of us who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Uh, he tells us, this Jesus says to us, follow me. And it's so interesting throughout history, you know, there, there are no other comparisons. I mean, you, you go back 500 years B.C. to Buddha. You know, even, even Buddha said, look, I, all I've done is rediscover old forgotten paths. And he says, please don't think of me. Even Confucius, about within the same time period or so, you know, even though he had a very winsome personality, he says, look, I lay no claim to humility. I lay no claim to love. Go a thousand years later to Muhammad, you know, five, 500 or 600 years A.D. Muhammad said, look, unless God cast a cloak of his mercy over me, I have no hope at all. And yet Jesus commands us to follow him. He claims to be the light of the world. Whosoever follows him does not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is sovereign over our affairs. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. So Jesus, this, this co-equal, co-eternal God is the only one who can make statements such as, follow me, be worthy of me. I am the light of the world. You are from below. I am from above. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Let me, let's look quickly at the evidence of forgiveness. And this is what turned uh, Israel or the Jews so much against Jesus uh, because he claimed to forgive sin. And they said, you know, hey, nobody can forgive sin but God and God alone. And so we, that's a prerogative of God. So in Mark chapter 2, we have the story of the paralytic. And, you know, he's brought by the cot carriers. And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. You know, from that point on, they're, they're wanting him dead. <laughs> you know, how could Jesus say that? Well, he's 100% God. He's 100% man at the same time. Uh, and he came to go to the cross. Why? He's, he makes it real clear in Matthew chapter 1. To save his people from their sins. That's why he came. That's why the kenosis, that's why he emptied himself of those divine prerogatives. But the only way he could do it is if he is 100% God and 100% man. Finally, let's look at the evidence of worship. Um, you get to the book of, of Revelation and you see Jesus receiving worship. Um, like, like if you look at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. Um, get to it. I know it's toward the end of the Bible. No. <laughs> uh, 
sorry. <laughs> it's the last book of the Bible. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, who is to come, the Almighty. And you get to Revelation chapter 21. Again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God. You get to the end, Revelation 22. I am the Alpha and Omega, the Lord God. I, Jesus. I, Jesus. And so you get to Revelation and you're looking at these chapters of 14 and 15 and, and you're looking at the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God. You're, you're looking at all of heaven, the four beasts, the 24 elders, the myriad of angels, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth worshiping God on the throne and the Lamb. Jesus is receiving worship. This so blue. Now, this is John, the one who wrote the book of John, which underscores the deity of Christ, okay? He gets, he gets this vision, and immediately he falls down at the feet of the angels who are showing him all this stuff. And they immediately correct him. They say, no, look, we're fellow servants just like you. Uh, Worship God, just like they're doing. Who are they worshiping? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, I beg you, don't reduce Jesus to a baby in a manger, the leader of a religion on par with some of the other great men and women who have lived, very religious people. Just don't put them on that scale. Um, I think it was the deity of Christ, without a doubt, that inspired many of us to confess, just as Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God. So I want to close by challenging you to answer two questions. The first question, it was a challenge that Jesus left with the Pharisees, with some very good religious people. What do you think about the Christ? We would love to help you answer that question. I mean, we have um, go to Dis Discover Parkview, Listen to Doug today. We've got the basics, four weeks, third hour, starting next week on the absolute essentials of Christianity. Uh, we're up here. People will be up here. Go to the Connect booth. Just say, I need some help. I've got some questions. Where's Andrew? Where's Andrew Hancock? He'd be a great person to ask. He, he's got great, great wisdom, some great ways to help lead you to answer some of the questions that you might have. Um, and then second thing is, it would be the words of the Roman procurator, Pilate. What then shall I do with Jesus, who's called Christ? My prayer is that those two questions will hound you and haunt you until you can finally respond as Thomas did, my Lord and my God.
So, application real quick. Number one, talk to somebody. If you've got questions, talk to somebody. Number two, hey, if you're a believer and this has helped to inspire you and sort of reinvigorate your appreciation for who Jesus is, this week, read through one of the Gospels. If you're struggling a little bit with him being God, read John. Uh, if you're struggling with what place should he have in your life, read Matthew or, or Mark or, or Luke and see what he can do in your life as well. And then thirdly, if you're here and, boy, this is sort of new to you, you've never realized who Jesus is and you're re ready to take that step, understanding that he emptied himself of his the prerogatives of deity so that he could die for you in your place to save you from your sin. If you've never accepted that free gift, I'd love to invite you to do that right now. Well, let's pray. And then we'll sing and then we'll have a, a little chat. God, thank you. Thank you for your incredible Bible and how your Bible opens our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see you in your total fullness, that you, Jesus, are 100% man and died, but 100% God. You atoned for our sins. You died on the cross for us. And I pray that if there's anybody here who's never received your gift of salvation uh, freely, purely as a gift, Lord, that they would take that step this morning. And I, I pray for all of us that we would never think of Jesus in the same way. And thank you. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to this beautiful text. Thank you for the Trinity. Uh, three, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Lord, it is in you, in you alone, that we can rest. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.